Opening question. I wanted to write this. Complete this statement. When I am idle, I am what? Comes to mind. On edge. There you go. Shelly says, when I'm idle, I'm on edge. What else? What about the rest of you? Man, it really does have your guys today. Mark, when you're idle, what are you? Okay. Then I also feel like I'm not getting better. So if I'm idle, I'm not progressing. Oh. So if I'm thinking about, I don't know, exercise. Okay. Exercise is going backwards and forwards. Yeah. So there's an element of peace to it, but then there's also an element of restlessness because I need to be making progress in this or that. Well, just saying what you said and using different words to accomplish it. So. That's one of the communication skills that you learn over time is repeat what somebody said, but repeat it using different words and make sure you understand what they said. So I like to practice that sometimes. So, Miss Tanya, when you're idle, I am. Oh, thank goodness I don't have anything to do. You're, you like it. You like it. She's content. Recharge, recharging. Okay. Okay. You're never, that you wouldn't know what it felt like to be idle. <laughs> maybe you avoid it because you're not recharged maybe it's like got this internal and that's the interesting thing about idleness is some people feel recharged by it and some people feel exhausted by it see I'm with I'm Shay like, is that a bird hit our window? Like, there's something I'm missing why, why, why is it yeah. I can be idle for a day and I love it if I'm out yeah but if I'm idle for two days in a row, I'm, I'm anxious. First day, it's great. Second day, I uh, can't do this anymore. Right. So uh, I'm just sending something to our group me right now. Uh, and there is a 10-question quiz. I want you to do that 10-question quiz. It does not ask for an email. It doesn't ask for anything. You left your phone. Do you want to borrow mine? Do you want to borrow mine? You, no, you can borrow mine. There you go. Ten questions. It's an introvert-extrovert quiz. You may already know the answer, but I want you to take it anyways learn something about yourself. Because your answer that you gave is a reflection to your tendency towards one of those two categories. Sam, what percent introvert were you? 63. Huh. Which I think is a little low. Yeah, I would have pinned you somewhere 70 or 80. But you have a slightly dominant personality that could gear you towards. What does that mean? <laughs> um, so there's another personal assessment that you're, um, you can be a D, which is a dominant personality, or you can be, um, there's an S or a C or an I. The I's are the, the happy-go-lucky people that are just like, everything's exciting. The S's are, isn't that me? Yeah, 
they're somewhat emotional um, feelings. And then the C's are your detail-oriented people that are just want things to stay as is. But you have a little bit of a dominant personality that flares up every now and then that could lean you away from the introvert category. Not in a negative way, it's just like you step up when something needs to be said or done. Yeah, D not dominant as in abusive, just like... No, but if there's a lack of like somebody stepping up and saying what needs to be said or doing, you have that ability. You're not the first person to do it, but if nobody else does it, you will. Similar to me. Which I feel like things are more effective generally when they don't come from me. I'm, I'm I may echo stock. that. I'm like a stock. Mark, what are you? What's your percentage? Balance. You're somewhere in the middle? Okay, you're right there. You're, you're, you're pretty close to where I'm at. I'm like 55 introvert, 45 extrovert. Um, so I'm, there was another quiz out there that gave another middle ground that would explain people like us, but this one kept two categories. So, Tanya, where'd you fall? I have seventy-five percent introvert. Oh yeah. There you go, Leslie. Seventy-eight introvert. Wow. Tyler. Thirty percent introvert. <laughs> <laughs> That's like of ten questions, I feel like four of them or five of them, I didn't feel really great about any of the answers. But you just had to like, these are, yeah. yeah. Derek. Seventy-five percent introvert. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was seventy-two extrovert just for all these introverts. Yeah. <laughs> Shay, Fred, where'd y'all land? Fifty-seven, forty-three, and uh, I have a hard time with that. Are you an extrovert? Fifty-seven. Yeah, okay. I think I'm way more extrovert. Okay, but you're also a thinker, so. Extroverts are doers, introverts are thinkers. Um, so there's, yeah, yeah. Fred, where'd you land? You're balanced. <laughs> no, uh, nobody uh, attended, not, not that way, no, no. Where'd you land? You, big time, what percentage did it tell you? So how we answered the first question about when I am idle, I am, um, that's a reflection of, of your introvert, extrovert reality. Um, what were, did you take it, Whitney, Mark, Mike? Still working on it, I was late getting started. What did it tell you, Mike? What my percentages were? Yeah. I was 65% uh, introvert and 35% extrovert. Okay. I thought that was Okay. And obviously, the more questions they add, the more accurate it becomes. I didn't want you guys to sit here for an hour, though. So, uh, For many of us, the category becomes an explanation for why we do or do not do this or that. Right? It's like because you internally probably knew where you're going to fall before you took that. And so, therefore, when you have an opportunity or something in front of you, you're like, well, you know, I don't do that because I'm an introvert. Or, you know, it's like I'm just, I'm just not going to go there because that's not natural for me. And it becomes the explanation for why you do or do not do what you do or do not do. Um, but what if settings outside our comfort zone are not the problem? 
What if the problem is not like doing things that are uncomfortable or things that are outside of our norm? What if that's not what creates the chaos? Right? Because we have chaos we defined last week as, I don't remember what we defined it last week, unpredictable, unrhythmic. It was just, un, it's just, it's out there. You can't control it. It's uncontrollable. And, and what you think in your brain as there's an opportunity in front of you, well, I, I'm an introvert, so I don't want to go do that. You may not think with those vocabulary words, but you think with that thought process. Because you think that if I put myself and my personality and the things that I'm natural, and I step into a place that's outside of that, then it'll become chaotic and stressful, and I won't like it, and I won't handle it. Right? That's what we do. It's like, if... I, a 93% introvert, step into a setting that requires me to operate and function as an extrovert, then internally it's going to create chaos for me. What if that's a lie? What if that's not fully true? What if submitting to your tendencies is the problem? What if it's not the external realities that create the chaos? What if it's you submitting to your label and saying, this is where I'm going to function? What if that is the problem? John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. I'm going to give you a recap. Some of you weren't here with us last week, so I'm going to give you a very brief recap for how we know that uh, the, the Scriptures define peace. When, when peace goes back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, and there were four... Um, the Hebrew, ancient Hebrew has this pictograph element to it, so each letter represents things in the Hebrew language. And beyond just saying peace, we can grab a fuller picture of what peace is by understanding what the original language was. And the first one represented teeth, which they understood had the ability to destroy. Think of a lion destroying his prey. The second letter in the Hebrew word for peace or shalom was a shepherd's staff. And that was an authority. When they saw the shepherd, they knew one who acted or spoke in authority. The fourth one was a nail or a hook, which is, as you could think, connected. You nail something together, it's the connection point. And the fourth letter in the word that makes up shalom uh, was waters. When they saw that letter, they knew it represented waters. And in ancient Hebrew, they represent the waters as chaos, as chaos. So when the ancients would look at the word that in the Hebrew was shalom, which we know as peace, it's the ability to destroy the authority connected with all chaos. This is peace. And when Jesus says, peace I give to you, 
He says, I'm giving you the ability to destroy the authority that is connected with chaos. He said, my peace I give to you. So not only am I giving that to you, he says, I own it to begin with. This type of peace is possessed yeah, by Jesus, and not only possessed, but is practiced by Jesus in his lifetime. So first of all, it is only obtained through Jesus because he alone possesses it. He alone has the ability to destroy authority connected to chaos, which we defined last week scripturally as Satan himself. He is the author of confusion. And Jesus says, I possess within me because it came from my father. You look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. And in that authority, he has the ability to destroy the authority connected to chaos. He owns and operates in that type of peace. And we said that Jesus not only possessed it, but he practiced it through um, uh, things that we can observe and see in his life. And he also said he's giving this to us so that we too may possess and practice this type of peace. So through faith in Jesus, he says this too belongs to you. Um, in my former life, this is me speaking, in my former life, uh, I might have found myself in loud, smoky places where people danced. We know what those are called. Do you ever find yourself in those, Mike? Long time ago. <laughs> so you can connect. Just create mental, don't create mental images or a bad thing, though, whatever. But in that um, loud, smoky, but you go to the club and, 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 and it's, it's whatever clubs are. But the interesting thing was I very rarely danced in those settings. Like it just wasn't going to happen for me. I, I, I had enough self-control to know that I can't control myself and it's just not a pretty sight for me to dance. Um, but I had a friend on the other hand. I had that friend who, who didn't hold back. And he got, when he got wound up at the club, he just, he just let it go, right? Anybody have that friend? <laughs> Mike's like, yeah, I had that friend. Um, but I propose a thought to you this morning. Just because music is playing and your body is moving doesn't mean you're dancing. Just because music is playing and just because your body is moving doesn't immediately mean it's dancing. It can be a whole lot of things. Uh, dance is the actual definition for dance, according to some things, is rhythmic movements to the beat of the music. So dancing requires rhythm. Just because you're moving doesn't make it dancing because dancing has a connection between the rhythm of your body and the rhythm of the music. And that was the struggle that my friend had. Like, I mean, he was trying hard, but it just <laughs> never matched. And what does it look like to have somebody who is trying really hard 
given all their effort to move their body, yet you look at them and you hear the music and you're like, I don't know if they hear the same music that I hear. Because the movement of their body does not have any connection with the rhythm of the music. Right? You know what that looks like. What does that look like? What, what? It's, it's painful. It's awkward. You feel bad for them because others can see them. Right? How might we describe the unrhythmic and unpredictable steps of my friend? What's a word that we might want to use? It's already in our vocabulary. Well, the, answer is chaos. the answer is chaos. I think that's a good description for what my friend used to do. Now, thank goodness he met Jesus. Stop going to bars and stop doing that. <laughs> thank goodness uh, he no longer moves that way. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't dance, but you shouldn't dance like that. People that know Jesus shouldn't dance like that. <laughs> he, he gave him the ability to destroy that chaos, right? And destroying it for him just meant stopping. Um, but the rhythmic and sequential steps of a skilled performer, like when you see somebody like that knows how to control their body to the tempo of the music, it's the opposite of chaos. You're like, man, it's actually like peaceful to watch people that do that skillfully. It's like, wow, that's incredible. Now, both are attempting to accomplish the same thing. The only difference is rhythm. So the difference between chaos and peace is rhythm. That's the difference. The difference between chaos and peace is rhythm. Jesus practices the peace that he possesses through repeated observable patterns, and we can learn from his examples. Jesus practiced the peace that he possessed in a rhythmic pattern throughout his life. Repeated steps, the proper tempo, one after another, one after another, gave him the power to practice the peace that he possessed. Okay? What did we talk about last week? We had a rhythm that he practiced last week. It was the rhythm of work and Rest. Good job. Wake up. Okay. So this week we're going to look at the second rhythm. And we're going to go back to the same exact verse in Luke 5, 16. Make this your memory verse because we got three rhythms coming out of one verse. So we're going to visit this verse again each week. Luke 5, 16, it says of Jesus that he often withdrew to deserted places and he prayed. He often withdrew to deserted places and he prayed. The rhythm of this week that we're going to look at is the rhythm of community and solitude. A repeatable pattern of rhythm Community and solitude. Community and solitude. Let's look at the, uh, in Luke 5 verse 1, it says that the crowd was pressing in to hear, pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word. Like when Jesus spoke, people flocked to him and the crowds would press in. 
Like if he's walking down Main Street, it looks like Spook City, but they're not here to get candy. The crowd is pressing in on Jesus, waiting for him to say the next thing that he's going to say. And it looks like street festivals everywhere he goes. Like this community of people is just constantly with him, pressing in on him. And then in Luke 5, verse 16, it says, The news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. I find it interesting because when you and I think about ourselves and the uh, the categories that we identify ourselves by, those are just two of them. That when Jesus is surrounded by such a crowd of people constantly, day in and day out, he never seems to be overwhelmed by the chaos. Just never does. What do you and I do when we're overwhelmed by the chaos? What do we do? What's our physical, emotional reactions? Shut down and get out. Just leave. Where'd Sam go? I don't know. I guess he couldn't take it anymore. Just shut down. Left. What do you do? You get angry. Try to, try to uh, take a Yeah. Like, that's the way I feel in my house, Mike. It's like... No, I mean, like... I do. It's like when I got four kids and a wife and my house gets chaotic... Like, that's my emotional response. I don't, I don't typically shut down. I usually just get angry. <laughs> I'm going to use that word. It's like, because I want to just get angry and control the chaos. That's how I can control. That's my authority over the chaos. It's like, if I just get ticked off enough, I can shut it down. Hmm? Mm-hmm. That's my response to chaos. Right. But Jesus, you don't see that with him. You just don't. It's not like Jesus is ever like, just quit touching me. Right? I mean, I'm like, we're sitting there watching a movie last night, and this little dude is a wallower. Like, he just like, like on the couch. And I'm like, dude, I love you, but stop moving. Stop! And I just never saw Jesus do that in the gospel narrative. But then he retreats and he goes away to a place by himself. And he's idle. He's idle. He slips away from the community into a place of solitude. And you know what else I don't see? I don't see him restless in his idleness. Now I see that in his disciples that are like, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Where'd you go? We got a lot of things to do. He's like, ah. all right, let's go to the next town. It's interesting to me that Jesus, in his perfection as the Son of God, either is a, he's, he's like, right here. He flawlessly functions in both settings just right. Like in the crowd where people are shoving and pushing, just want to touch them, just want to hear them, just want to be with them. He's, 
he, he doesn't have emotional responses, but when he's idle, he's just as content as when he's in the community. He has this rhythm of community and solitude that we can observe. He's not overwhelmed or anxious from the chaos in the crowd. And in fact, he pursues and engages and pushes the boundaries and is typically the center of community. You know those people? Like I, That's the whole reason that I actually was unwilling to even allow God to say that you're going to start a, a church. It's because I perceived the guys that started churches were the ones out in the community, just like the center of attention and the excitable people. Like as they went through the streets, they just like made a scene everywhere they went. They were excitable people. And I'm like, that's not me. But Jesus, when he pressed into the community, he like, he pushed boundaries and he went in and he created the crowd. He created the conversation and he was always going and moving and pushing. Yet he was regularly stepping away to places of solitude. And it's interesting, if you know the people that are like the people that push in, create the movements and do those things, a lot of them struggle with solitude. Like if you shut their life down, they... They don't know who they are. Because most of us, when we're an extrovert, we identify by the crowd. It's like, if I have a crowd, then I'm doing good. And then if you pull them out of the crowd, they don't, they don't always function well. They don't know what to do next. But Jesus wasn't that way. This is one of the rhythms that he used to practice the peace that he possesses. The rhythm of community and solitude. So I want to ask you real quick. What are the pros to being an introvert and pros to extrovert tendencies? Like I'm not even asking you for the cons, but if what are the pros to introvert tendencies and what are the pros to extrovert tendencies? What do you think? Okay. Um, it's like you're not rocking the boat because you're staying to yourself. Extrovert, uh, making lots of connections, close miles don't get fed. Okay. Uh, is it networking? Yeah. Extroverts do well at networking. They're always building connections. Those connections have value. Okay. What are all pros? Introvert. Introverts are quick to listen. Okay. Introverts might be better or good at listening and considering, thinking. Right? Because they're typically reflective. Introverts can be really good at reflecting on what they're perceiving, looking, hearing, and they consider it deeply. Okay? What else? <clears throat> no. Extroverts are more likely to engage. Okay. Figure out something has an issue and do something about it. Whereas extrovert will just be like, oh, they're 
Okay. <clears throat> so there's a lot of value that comes with being able to engage. Part of that value may be you learn about the people that are around you to the point that you can actually take action to it. Right? Where the introvert, if we were listening to Khan, they may... And we've talked about this a lot, like in our DNA group, like who's around us, even on Sunday mornings. And we're like, sometimes when there's an introvert, you're like, oh, I didn't even, I don't know. But the extrovert's the one that meets them at the door. It's like, hey, who are you? You know, it's just the difference there. Uh, introverts do well on home turf. Extroverts do well anywhere, especially in the world, like new places. Like extroverts, when you're idle on your home turf, you almost don't do so well. But the introvert thrives at home, thrives on his home turf. Anything else? They observe well. Um, extroverts push limits really good. It's where the introvert doesn't like to push limits sometimes. Okay. And I had something, Shay, that went with your networking. They are extroverts um, are aware of the value of other people. Like maybe to the point of wanting to use them, but it's like, I mean, that could, go, that could go south really quick, but they're aware of the people value around them. Okay. It can also be a bad thing because they're independent mm -hmm. as much as that they they go, well, i got to just be able to do everything on my own. I can't trust anybody else where it's yeah. the expert knows. You know, they can get help from the people who Which Derek just said, what I want us to realize before we move on, is every pro contains potential for chaos and must be balanced by a regular rhythm of the other. Right? So every pro has potential when it leans all to this side to be the source of your chaos. Like even though your independence is a good thing because you can function you just said it. If I'm always independent and I never lean into others, then that can be the source of my chaos. Like if I'm solely dependent on myself, I won't let anybody help, I won't do this, I won't do that, and it's always about me, then that becomes the thing that stirs that uncontrollable imbalance. It becomes the source of your chaos. So you have to balance it with a regular rhythm of the other hand in order to practice deep levels of peace. And that's why I say, to begin this conversation, the problem is not external situations that you may or may not find yourself in. The problem becomes when I solely submit to one side or the other, either to community or to solitude. Like if I label myself solitude, y'all know what I meant. It's my shorthand, right? 
I think that's where the problem lands. It's like if I, if I fully submit to being an extrovert, going, 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 engaging, pushing, never home, always going, always moving, always engaging, always surrounded by people, feeding and thriving and doing well in crowds, but I never have a balanced level of solitude, then that will snowball and become my source of chaos. So how do I balance that and find peace? I practice the art of solitude if I'm an extrovert. And it keeps me functioning in a rhythm that allows me to destroy the authority connected to chaos. But when I submit and I say, this is me all the time, it's going to create chaos. Even if it's what has the potential for good, it's also the potential for chaos. Right? <clears throat> so we have a balanced... We saw that with Jesus, a balanced rhythm of community and solitude. So how does this translate into your life? Right, so think about you. Do you avoid community assuming that it will drain you? Or do you avoid solitude? Struggle when you're idle? It's like where does all this land in your life Are you currently imbalanced? How do you perceive the other side? How do you wrestle against that? Well, I know for a fact that like, when I get up early and I have that, quote, solitude, just being in the Word of God and in prayer before everybody wakes up, the chaos of the day is incredibly peaceful. Mm-hmm. Like there's like the mornings with the kids, the re- but then when I don't have that, the day feels so much more hectic for me. Yeah. Just Even as an extrovert. Yes. But like that mm-hmm. that time before everybody wakes up, if I can just be in the word of God and just, just being with my savior, you mm-hmm. know. Um, it it I could instantly tell the difference in the rest of my day. Yeah. Um you know, as opposed to when I'm not, I feel like I just hit the ground running and rushing and feeling like we're just Mm-hmm. We just gotta go. We just gotta go. We just gotta go. <laughs> I think there's a. I think Shelley's very right. I think there's a hidden principle. In fact, I, Tony and I talked about it here recently. There, there is. What I think one of the things missing because of my sinful nature is that I really have to, as a result of my life and all that I've been through, has caused me to. I have a. I have this. Uh, can't say it's constant, but very, very frequent um, uh, awareness that I need God. There's this, uh, and I think there's a lot to what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. There's a principle of spending time alone with God on a daily basis, and Scripture seems to point toward giving Him the first part of our day. As we give the first part of our tithe, as we saw Jesus getting up early in the morning, there's something about that that is a that is a real jewel in the crown of what you're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't explain it, and Shelley explained it pretty well. I don't know what it is, but there's mm-hmm. something about spending time with God every day yeah. and just getting on getting on my knees and saying, "God, I need your help today. I need your 
you know, help me to stay sober today. Help me to live my life that besides selfishness and for myself. One of the 12-step prayers is, is a, one of the most beautiful prayers. It says, uh, you know, is, is a giving up of self and a yielding of self to God and, a, and allowing God to infuse me with his spirit where I'm not so selfish and self-centered. Mm. Um, I, I can't uh, really, that's a conviction of mine, something I, I, I think we could all do a little bit more of is this, of this subtle urgency of how bad we really need God every day. Yeah. If we had more of that, we'd be in a lot better place. I'm just curious, Father Sam, both of y'all. So basically, having that moment of peaceful solitude in the morning to be able to deal with the chaos of the day instead of waking up, let's say, like you're a little late for work and you wake up or whatever, and then it starts the day chaotic so you never can catch up to the peace. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And that time of asking God to God come, come take me over Yeah. and uh, fill me up with yourself and, so I don't, I'm not living on fumes, so to speak. Yeah. Speak to this, because we have a room full of introverts. And I think, here, here's the interesting thing, is our conversation in this realm typically goes where it just went. We need to have the quiet time. We need to have time alone with our Heavenly Father. We need to be in that solitude, because when we miss the solitude, it becomes chaotic. But we have a room full of introverts. And you're always going to lean towards that. And then when I invite you to host and be hospitable, and when I invite you to come to a meal and a party and be around people that, that you can meet and, and, and begin to get plugged into their life, then you're like, I need to go spend some time with Jesus right now. Right? I need some solitude. I'm like, no, you also need some community because Jesus practiced regular rhythm. He pressed into people and then he pressed into his Father. He pressed into people and he pressed into his Father. And I think when you have a room full of introverts, we're going to amen that one. And then I'm like, hey, why don't we, why don't we go spend some time with this group of people? Like, oh, man. But I don't know them. I don't know, man. I mean, let me let me see what I got on my schedule. Let me let me see, right? I'm gonna push back against that. <laughs> the, time, the more regular I am in that solitude, time, mm -hmm. the more I'm an extrovert and other centered. It's rhythm. It's rhythm. <laughs> it's rhythm. One feeds off the other. Yeah. I want to go hide. Yeah. And that's the rhythm. Because if you lean into one side, like if you submit to your introvert and you never host, you're never a part of community, then what you're going to find is submitting to the solitude will create a chaos. And even though you're a deep thinker, you'll become an overthinker. Even though you're a reflective, emotional introvert, you will become emotionally unstable, unable to function with others. Right? If you submit 
to one side or the other, even though I understand because a lot, one, one friend of mine described that if you're an extrovert, you get energized by being with people. If you're an introvert, you get re-energized by being alone. But what are you doing with that energy? Are you going to reinvest it back in the opposite side so that you can create a rhythm? Or are you going to sink deeply into one or the other? And if you sink deeply, it's going to be the source of your chaos. The value of being able to listen and to consider and to think deeply could be the source of your emotional instability. Because you go into places, you'll be over-observant. You'll overthink things. You'll think it's all about you. You'll think it's, and it'll be the source of your anxiety. So yeah, it's, they both feed off each other. And there's a rhythm to it. There's a rhythm to it. Right. So as a room full of introverts, we're going to lean in towards our solitude time. But I'm going to push back on you and say, yes, but there's a rhythm of community and solitude. And even though it may be an intentional decision of yours to press into the opposite, unnatural side, it's necessary in order for you to function at a deeper level of peace that Jesus offers you. It's necessary. Because you're not going to fully experience and enjoy the shalom that he is offering you without the other side. We'll be like my friend. You'll think you're dancing. Man, it just gets awkward. <laughs> it just gets awkward. Without that rhythm, it gets awkward. So here's, here's what we have with DNA groups starting back this week. DNA groups offer one avenue to find a balance of community and solitude. And in fact, it's geared for that. Like right now, we're functioning every other Wednesday night. You come together in a community of people that you get to know, they get to know you, and you get to spend valuable time either sharing meals and doing things like this and, and discussing uh, the scriptures together, and you're going to do that in a community context. But then it's actually going to ask you to go back and have a daily rhythm of solitude where you go read the scriptures, read the, the commentary that comes with this, uh, this book that we have with us, and, and it's going to ask you to spend time daily with your Heavenly Father. But then it's going to ask you to come back to the community of people and share that meal, spend that time, be together, encourage one another, speak life into one another, and then go back to the solitude and spend time with your Heavenly Father again. It's going to give you a pattern and a rhythm of community and solitude, community and solitude. So we're asking you to step into that, to be a part of that, and to do that, not flippantly, not so we can add another thing to your week, because I think it's absolutely necessary if you're going to experience what Jesus possesses and offers you. You're not going to experience the fullness of Christ by yourself. And you're not going to experience the fullness of Christ if you never sit in solitude with your Father. So the fullness of Christ is not here. Now this is a community. This is valuable. This is good. But if you don't have what Mike's talking about, then you're missing something. But if you only have what they're talking about and you're never willing to draw in, sit across a table from a community, a family of people, then you're missing out. 
because it's this rhythm of community and solitude. And DNA is just one thing that we have in front of us right now that I'm asking you step into, choose to be a part of this, uh, and choose to walk faithfully and enjoy the deeper levels of peace that, that Christ is offering you here. Okay? So I'm asking you to trust the vision, move into that, and, and, and experience a deeper level of peace that Jesus offers. I want to say this in our closing, that the authority to destroy, the ability to destroy the authority connected to chaos comes through Christ. Like He said, I own it. It's my peace that I'm offering to you. Like there's, there's, there's other promises of peace and other avenues that we can search things out. But I present to you that what Jesus offers here is unique to him and him alone. All right, because we can't come to our Father in solitude. It says, no man comes to the Father except through me. You can't approach God except through Jesus. He said, that's his claim. You can chase after God. You can figure out your own avenues. But I am the way. I am the life. I am the truth. No man goes to the Father except through me. So we can chase after this in a lot of different avenues. But the claim that Jesus is making here is I alone possess this and have the authority to give it to you. Now you can believe that or you cannot believe that. You can choose to chase after it somewhere else. And, and you have the freedom to do so. But I'm telling you, the claim that Jesus makes is this belongs to me. This is mine. It comes through me. Okay? And if you choose to chase it somewhere else and you don't find it, maybe you'll remember this conversation one day and say, well, maybe, maybe that claim was right. Maybe this does belong. He does have a copyright on this. Anybody got a closing word, question, comment before we pray? Nope. Derek, will you pray for us? Father, thank you for sending Jesus on the cross and dying for our sins so that we wouldn't have to answer to them and that you covered us.